I made a sign. And I can tell you uh, that carrying this sign just the half block from my car to the church this morning, I was super self-conscious. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a, but there's another side to the sign, though. So the first side said, repent. This side says, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And uh, if you've gone to a Mariners game, if you've been to the Greenwood Seafair Parade, you've probably seen people holding signs not too dissimilar from this. Uh, it may have even said these, this exact phrase. Um, and this is uh, a quote from Jesus. Jesus says this. Uh, but somehow, I think sometimes when we encounter the signs that say it, and the people with those signs, uh, we don't hear it maybe in the same way that I think uh, we encounter this when we hear Jesus say it in Matthew 4. And so that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to just set this over here. See if I can prop that up properly. No. Well, there we go. There we go. (laughs) All right, let me get get situated here. Matthew 4 is where we're at this morning. Sorry, Izzy, I'm going to ruin your space here. How long did it take you to make the sign? So, longer than it should have. (laughs) It's a great question. Yeah, I did. I, I made us needed to have more. Yes. <laughs> uh, we're in Matthew 4. We're starting in verse, uh, where are we? Verse 12, reading through uh, verse 23. It'll be on the screen. Feel free to follow along. When Jesus heard that John, this is John the Baptist, uh, had been put into prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. That makes sense, they said. And so at once they left their nets and followed him. There's, I added that part. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Lord, thank you for your word. This morning, we want to hear from you. So open our ears and our hearts. Lord, shape us by your spirit. That as we leave this place as individuals and as a community, we would resemble our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, more and more. Do that, we pray. Amen. So, um... This is, this sign is verbatim from Matthew's Gospel. 
but I, I did it on two sides because I, I, I wanted to emphasize. I'm going to really try to figure out how to set this up so you can see it. Um, oh, perfect. Yep, that's why Taproot made this stage like this, just for that. Um, I, I, we, the word repent is the first word that appears, but I feel like uh, that is not actually the foundational message that is in this one line uh, that Jesus begins to preach. Uh, if, if we've been following along in Matthew, we realize this, is, this was John's message. This is not a new message. It's not a new thing that Jesus is saying. Um, but the foundational uh, message here is that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so then repentance is the only obvious response to that. I don't know that that's the sense we get when we encounter these signs out in the wild, but I think that's the sense in which Jesus is is preaching this. So um, the the way that uh, different translations have translated the has come near is interesting. The, The... the NIV actually changed it. They did a little revision a few years ago, and it used to say the kingdom of heaven is near. They changed it to say the kingdom of heaven has come near, which is potato, potato in some ways, but I do think that it, it, uh, it captures a little bit more of what's happening in the Greek there, which is the way that um, the nearness of the kingdom of God is something that has already happened. It exists. Uh, Jesus did not create it. The kingdom of God exists uh, and what Jesus has done is he has brought it near and he has made it accessible to us. It is an event that has already happened uh, and it has ongoing significance and ongoing influence. That's what's captured in the Greek. And so the kingdom of heaven has come near to us. This is the good news of the gospel. But uh, it is good news that demands a response. And the response given to us with the first word, repent, change, turn around, stop going the direction you're going. That is not a good way. It leads to death. Here's the way towards life. So we're going to look a little bit more at repentance later, but I wanted to start by looking at what do we even mean when we're talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Those terms are used uh, interchangeably in the Gospels. And I, my, my favorite definition uh, to, to summarize what is exactly the kingdom of God is it is the, the realm where what God wants to happen happens. That, that's a, the kind of the most basic definition of the kingdom of God that I can think of. And as I uh, was reading some commentaries and looking actually at uh, the Heidelberg Catechism as well, uh, there's like four aspects of the kingdom of heaven that I, I think each one of us is probably drawn to one maybe more than the others. And so I just wanted to, to walk through them so that we can have a fuller sense of what it is that Jesus is inviting us into. Um, and there's a slide here. I'll kind of touch on each little bit of this here. But here's some different aspects to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The first one is that it is this future that we are moving towards. It is Christ's return when he will come to make all things new. Right? A new heaven and a new earth. Uh, It's what we look forward to after our life here on earth is done. The future that is coming towards us. The fancy theological word for this is the eschaton, eschatology, right? The study of the end times. And this, our orientation 
in light of this aspect of the kingdom of God is that we are forward-looking people with hope. Right? We are a people of hope and we look forward to the future because we know who's writing the last chapter. Secondly, so yeah, so they're kind of connected across there. I didn't really... Graphic design, not my strength. Um, so the second aspect of the kingdom of God we might think of as the church. God's people gathered here on earth. The church that is oriented towards worshiping God and proclaiming the good news to the world. Right? The ministry of the church as a worshiping people, as people who are proclaiming the good news of the gospel in the hopes that those who are not yet part of the church would become part of the church. Those who are lost would be found. That's God's activity through his church here and now. The third one, um, oh, and then, so then the orientation is kind of an upward and, and outward orientation. Right? Uh, that we, we, we worship God and we proclaim the good news. That's kind of fundamentally what the church does. <laughs> Thirdly, the kingdom of God is in the heart. It is an internal reality that is reflected when an, an individual's heart becomes more and more yielded to God's will. We talked about the kingdom of God being uh, this realm where what God wants to have happen, happens. Uh, and for us as individuals... Uh, that's when our heart begins to be transformed. And we begin to naturally want the things that God wants. Right? We see this uh, on display when the fruits of the Spirit are more evident in our lives. Right? When love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, when these things become our characteristic traits, that's evidence of a heart that is uh, more and more uh, yielded to the kingdom of God. As Augustine would say, uh, our, our loves are getting reordered. It's this internal reality, right? So, so it's, a, it's an inward perspective, uh, and it has to do with character formation, who we are, that, that in our character we're becoming more Christ-like. And then fourthly, and these are not in any order of importance, but fourthly, uh, it's a social reality. The kingdom of God has implications for the broader world at large that we live in. Um, it's not enough for the kingdom to be, exist in the heart. Uh, it's not enough for us to sort of do what we're supposed to do as the church. Uh, the kingdom spills over the borders into the world, uh, and it, it calls out injustice, and it names it as sin, and it seeks to overthrow injustice and to establish justice and peace as the reality in our world. God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven where uh, injustice is eradicated, justice reigns, when our neighbors are flourishing. Right? We just celebrated uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's day. And um, I had a chance of going to a prayer breakfast on Monday with church leaders and city leaders from across, across the city. It was a really powerful event. And, and some, of the, some of the wonderful lines that we have from, from Dr. King, right? Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. This reflects this aspect of the kingdom of God, that it has social implications, that it lives even beyond the borders of what the church is about, that God is at work in our world in powerful ways. So, oh, and so this has, um, this orients us outward again, but also downward, and not downward in a condescending way, but downward in a way of service, right? Downward in a way where we say uh, part of what it is to live in the kingdom is to spend our lives for the sake of others. Justice and service are hallmarks of this aspect of the kingdom of God. 
So, Peter, you can just leave that up there for a second. Um, as you can imagine, the cha- it's a challenge, right, to hold all four of these aspects together. And I would imagine that as I've been describing these different aspects of God's kingdom, maybe there's one that you more resonate with, one that is, when you think of the kingdom of God, you're more inclined to go there. And I think I, there's two thoughts I have to that. One, it, there's, there's a challenge for us here to hold all of these together, to be biblically grounded, full-orbed Christians thinking deeply about what it is to be part of the kingdom of God. But the other aspect is that this illustrates how we need each other. Um, we, we need each other to be the body of Christ, to express these different aspects of the kingdom of God. And some of us are more naturally oriented towards the social justice aspects of the gospel. And we need your voices to help us shape how we live in the world. Some of us care deeply uh, about the lost and about people, friends and family who don't know the Lord. And we want them to know the Lord. And we need you to help us uh, have a passion for evangelism in our church. Same would be true for others. Uh, we need each other, I think, to, to sharpen each other, right? And to shape us together as a community into a little taste of the kingdom. Maybe another way to think of it would be to look at um, Jesus' prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. We will pray this. Uh, We pray it together every Sunday that we're together. And uh, just a couple of chapters ahead in Matthew 6 is one of the uh, places where in the scripture we we hear Jesus teach his disciples to pray this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, set apart be your name. Your kingdom come. I would imagine as you pray that prayer, as you have prayed it in the past, there's a, your imagination is sparked in a particular way about what that might look like to see that prayer answered. What would it look like to see God's kingdom come? And I, uh, I, I, I don't often turn to the catechisms, and this is probably to my detriment, but I did this week. And there's some really rich answers to that question of what exactly are we praying when we say your kingdom come? Mr. Catechism, which comes out of Scotland, and the Heidelberg Catechism, these are centuries-old documents that were uh, written to, to teach and train uh, Christians in the faith. And, uh, and so, for example, in the Westminster, it asks this question. What do we pray for in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, this Your Kingdom Come line? In the second petition, which is Thy Kingdom Come, we pray, this is so good, that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed, that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. One little line, your kingdom come, that's the substance of what we're praying here. The the Heidelberg, uh, I thought that we could do a little Q&A, a little little catechesis this morning. (laughs) So I'm going to get out of the way here. Um, And and here's the thing. So when we we recite the Lord's Prayer together... um, we're not just reciting it. We're actually praying it. And so as we give this answer, um, it's worded in such a way as it can be a prayer. And so in as much as I'm going to ask a question and you guys are going to answer, would you answer it in a way that is prayer to God, that, that this language can become your prayer? So, all right. What does the second petition, petition mean in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come means... 
Rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Preserve your church and make it grow. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do this until your kingdom fully comes when you will be all in all. Amen. We are going to, uh, after I'm done, uh, take a, a few moments in prayer. And we'll wrap up as we do every week with the Lord's Prayer. And so when we get to that line, uh, uh, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, I would invite us just to pause there for a minute, for a minute and remember and reflect on all that that one little line can mean for us when we pray that. So Jesus begins preaching. This is the first sort of public ministry that we see in the Gospel of Matthew. He's baptized, he heads off to the wilderness and is tempted by Satan. He comes back, and, uh, and this is the f- first thing that he says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that word repentance, I think, is one that we always have to sort of redefine and rehear, because I think if we, if we hear it as that angry sign in our face, um, I don't think we hear it as Jesus uh, and as the scriptures uh, use it, um, it means to turn, right? To turn around, to change direction. And it's, uh, it's this re- reality that this announcement, this proclamation of the nearness of the kingdom of God demands a response. It calls for some kind of response. Uh, just simply uh, saying, well, I'm, I'm really glad that the kingdom of God, like this is, it, it radical whole life response because Jesus is not something that we add to our life in the direction that we're already going. Um, he, he can only be the center. That's where he belongs. So it's fascinating to me then that after preaching this message or beginning to preach this message, uh, he calls his first disciples to himself. And um, even with this message, of repentance for the kingdom of God has come near, he, he calls these people who, from our perspective and everything that the scriptures show, uh, had nothing in them to indicate that they had made any big changes in their life. <laughs> uh, the disciples that Jesus calls and invites to follow him were very ordinary, working class, not the intellectual elite. Like, these were just average fishermen. And... He calls them, and he proclaims the good news to them, that the kingdom of God has drawn near. And in, in that calling them to himself, that's a demonstration of it, right? That the kingdom of God is advancing. It's calling people to Jesus. Um, and the repentance, the change, the turning around, comes gradually as we watch these disciples walk with Jesus and learn from him. In Matthew's gospel, Peter is the first one that he calls. And Peter it's got to, I mean, maybe he's not everybody's favorite disciple, but he's most people's favorite disciple because he's kind of a bum fool. <laughs> and he, uh, you know, he, say, he speaks first and thinks, you know, ready, fire, aim is Peter. And, um, and yet he's the first one that Jesus calls and he drops everything and follows him. And we see in Peter's life gradually over time a life of repentance, a life of, of change. We see a, a transformation in him. 
that we could not have seen early on in the Gospels. But that is the power of the kingdom of God, is that it, it is Jesus calling people to himself and then enabling them to change, to be transformed. Uh, we have we've, we've said before that to call ourselves Christians, that, that word Christian just means little Christs, and it was first used as a derogatory term. It was not a compliment. It was first used. Uh, the other way to think of what it means to be a Christian uh, is to be a disciple, a disciple of Jesus. I think that, uh, I think a better word is apprentice. I think there's a lot that's captured with the word apprentice. It is meant by the word discipleship, that it's, uh, we are invited to train in the way of Jesus. We are invited to a school, uh, not just learning about Jesus, but actually training in a way of life that looks like him. Right? And, and so as we train in the way of Jesus, we begin to uh, be people of the kingdom of God. We begin to have our lives marked by hope, by this bold witness, this proclamation of the good news, by an inner peace and transformation, and by lives of service and justice. This is evidence that we are students of Jesus when our lives start to look like this. Um, but the grace in all of this and we see this as Jesus calls his first disciples, right? That he does not demand this transformation first, but he brings it. And it's not a matter of our studying so much what someone said a long time ago and trying to imagine what that might look like now. The reality is that Christ is present in our lives now, enabling us, empowering us to be his apprentices, his disciples, his followers. There's a, a really wonderful uh, C.S. Lewis quote um, that talks about this. And Lewis is writing about how, similarly, it's not a matter of just hearing what Christ long ago, kind of reading these documents as historical documents so that we can figure out you know, what it might mean for us today. But rather, the real Son of God is at your side, he says. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought, his zoe, that's the Greek word for life, into you. Beginning to turn the the tin soldier into a live man or woman. And the part of you that doesn't like it is the part that is still tin. So I was thinking about this sign I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this sign after the sermon, but I don't know that I'm going to get rid of it just yet. <laughs> I think that uh, th- this is good news, uh, that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near to us, that God approaches us, comes to us with the good news of this kind of reality that we're blind to, we, we can't see, that the world doesn't reflect fully yet, but one day will. And it does call for a response. And repentance is the response that it calls for. But I think that our lives actually become, like if we were to, if we were to actually take this sign and, uh, and walk around with it around Seattle, I would start with this. But then on this side uh, would be a picture of me. 
that our lives become the, the evidence of repentance, the evidence of change, the evidence of transformation that Jesus brings as he brings the kingdom and injects it into us. Uh, Jesus calls these, um, these fishermen to himself, and then he, to be his apprentices, to be his disciples. Uh, and then he says, I'm going to make you apprentice makers. I'm going to make you fishers of people. And I think, that, I think that the disciples themselves, they didn't know it at the time, but what they didn't realize is that they themselves were the bait for the fishing of people that they themselves, as their lives began to be transformed, as they participated more and more in the kingdom of heaven life that Jesus brought to us, brings to us, that it was their lives, that it's our lives, that are the bait that draws others to the Lord. May that be true of us as we go into our weeks this week. I want to... Finish, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer here. But uh, to close by rereading this line, uh, this is Dallas Willard's loose translation of this, this first thing that Jesus began to preach in his ministry. Jesus said, All the preliminaries have been taken care of, and the rule of God is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable new opportunity. Let's pray. Lord, help us to review our plans for life, review our plans for living, the way that we think life works. Help us to review that in light of the good news of your kingdom, which has come near to us already in Christ. Help orient us in the right posture, Lord. Orient us towards the future with hope. Even in the face of discouraging news, which seems to be the only kind of news these days, would you make us a people grounded in hope in the future that you are bringing into the present and the promise that one day all will be well All will be well, and all manner of things will be well. And Lord, we pray that you would build up your church, that we would, as your people here on earth, that we would more and more reflect you worshiping you well, giving you the glory, giving you thanks for everything in life. And with boldness and confidence and courage, proclaiming the good news that you are a God who is pursuing people, everyone, offering your life so that they and we might have it. Build up your church.
And this morning, Lord, we offer you our hearts, our inner thoughts, our motives. We want to yield to you and we want to see the fruit of your spirit more and more evidenced in our life. Lord, keep us uh, as people practicing the kinds of spiritual practices that keep us close to you. Prayer, reading your scriptures, remind us of the truths in scripture. And shape us by your spirit. And Lord, we desperately need your kingdom to come in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our country, and around the world. We need men and women of peace. Men and women who understand what shalom is. is not just the absence of peace, but the presence of right relationship presence of justice. We pray for the leaders of our own country, that you would give them wisdom. For the leaders of our city, facing the challenges of incredible economic opportunity and incredible wealth difference and uh, incredible struggle for those who are without homes. Lord, give our leaders wisdom to set in place the structures that would allow Uh, allow everyone to flourish as you intended. Lord, in all these ways, would your kingdom come. And we pray now as you taught, and and when we get to that line, uh, may your kingdom come, let's just pause there for a few seconds. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Yes, Lord, may your kingdom come. Let's continue. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.